I have a confession to make. I stole the title of this sermon from someone else. It's the title of a book that's been dear to me for many years, Letting Go of the Person Who You Used to Be. Okay, I have another confession. The first time I read it, I took off the book jacket because I would most often read it on the subway and I thought the title sounded like a self-help book. I was ashamed at that time to be seen as what I then thought of as those people, one of those sad people. I was ashamed to be seen as someone who needed help, ashamed to be noticing that there were parts of myself that I was letting go of or that I still needed to move past. Now, I was about 22 when a friend of mine recommended it. It was just after college. I was working full-time as a bartender, and I was somewhat lost. I was disconnected from my family and from my faith. And by the time I started reading it, I'd moved back home to Boston to be near my family and to escape a toxic relationship that had led me away from home. I was in a period of rebuilding myself. I felt empty and scared. It had been a struggle for me to leave that relationship behind. And in it, my sense of self had been shredded. I'd been broken open and emptied out in a way that left space for something new to grow, if I was willing to cultivate it. In some ways, I was willing, and in others, I fell back into old habits and comforts that did not serve me. Now, looking back on this part of my life feels a bit surreal. It is hard for me to fathom how much I've changed in the years since. I cannot help but chuckle a little at how young I was all of seven years ago. <laughs> in the book, Letting Go of the Person You Used to Be, Buddhist teacher and scholar Lama Surya Das, who has since become one of my favorite spiritual writers, reflects on his former self in much the same way. He writes, All of this seems like a magical dream to me today, real as it was at the time, and I am reminded of Buddha's own words. See this floating world as like a dream, like a mirage, like a fantasy. Sure, looking back on a part of our lives where we were drastically different can give us great insight into how far we've come. And we can easily see the ways in which we had to let go of parts of ourselves to get to where we were going. But that doesn't necessarily make it any easier to make the changes that we need to make now, does it? Who we believe ourselves to be is important. Our identities hold value in our lives. They help to shape our goals and remind us what's important to us. Our identities hold great power over us at times. They can help us to recover from our mistakes if we remember that we aren't inherently 
flawed, or they can keep us from being able to enjoy our successes if we identify too strongly with our mistakes and our shortcomings. Who we think ourselves to be shapes who we actually are. And our identities name our connections. So for example, I identify as a daughter, a stepdaughter, a grandchild, a sibling, an aunt, a niece, a friend, a colleague, a partner. Each of those point to a connection I have with another human being. But I also identify as a Unitarian Universalist, which connects me to the great web of all of the people who are Unitarian Universalists who hold that identity with me. I identify as a coffee addict, which connects me to lovely coffee. I identify as a Bostonian, which connects me to the people from my hometown, and now as a Tulsan, which connects me to this city. And I identify as a Red Sox fan, which clearly connects me to a Red Sox nation. Lama Surya Das says, we are all connected to people, places, things, traditions, beliefs, habits, and ideas. To some degree, we tend to define ourselves by these connections. So I want to invite you to think a little bit about your identities. And because we have people at all ranges of life, take your total age for me and divide it in threes. So I roughly divide my life into the three decades of it, right? So take your total life and divide it in threes and think about, for me, and write down in three of your quadrants of your insert of your order of service. If you got, and if you need a pencil, raise your hand and one of our ushers will bring you a pencil. Um, so think about the core identities that you held during that period of your life. For the first section, the second section, and the third section, who were you? What was important to you? What connections and identities were most important to you? In the great transitions of our lives, it can often seem hardest that our identities are changing. When we lose someone we love and we struggle with losing the identity they represent as much as we struggle with losing them. When we leave a time in our lives behind when we cannot do what we used to love to do. So I ask, what differences do you see between each of your three quadrants? Where are your transitions that have changed the identities that you hold? How did you handle the changing of your identities? Which ones have you clung to even as they cease to be true? When they've changed, we are often really grieving the loss of the attachment, not just the loss of the identity. Lama Surya Das says, Buddhism regularly reminds us all of, that all of these things, people, objects, ideas, accomplishments, habits, addictions, memories, even opinions, represent our attachments. Our overwhelming attachments are said to be the cause of our suffering. Because we are focused on our attachments, 
we fail to pay attention to the truth of the present moment. We fail to follow our deeper values. If we insist on desiring those things that are fleeting, we set ourselves up for disappointment and dissatisfaction. When we insist on clinging to those things that are unreliable, we become candidates for unhappiness. If we cling to unreality, we lose our sanity. Now, Buddhism teaches us that we are to release our grip on attachments to accept the impermanence of life, for all life is impermanent. But letting go of attachments and desires is a spiritual practice for many other faiths as well. In the Tao Te Ching, Lao Tzu has these words, In pursuit of the world, one gains more and more. In pursuit of the Tao, one gains less and less. Loss upon loss until at last comes rest. When nothing is done, nothing remains undone. There's also spiritual practices such as Ramadan fasting in Islam and giving up something in Lent for our Christian brothers and sisters. The purpose is the same, though, throughout these different faith traditions. The purpose is to learn that we can live without earthly pleasures, to connect to something deeper, to make room for change, to shake loose the hold of desires. Renunciation is not the only way to relieve our cravings or let go of our attachments. Oftentimes, all it really takes is awareness. But being self-aware in this way, continually, is much harder than it sounds. Reducing our cravings or letting go of our attachments is important spiritual work. It's difficult, though, like all spiritual work, and trying, especially when we think of the totality of it. It's work that's best taken one step at a time. It's work that calls us to be gentle with ourselves, as attachments and cravings are natural, human. One of my favorite yoga teachers who... Uh, used to regularly say the words, try easy, a way of letting go of the pushing, hard kind of trying, a way she would often say to smile when trying, to try lightly or easy. But our identities don't just point out our attachments. Some of them also point us towards who we truly are at our core, our true self, with a capital T and a capital S. Quaker teacher and writer Parker Palmer calls these our birthright gifts. They are ways in which our true self expresses itself. They are hidden behind some of our other identities sometimes. He advocates that we look for them in our childhood because that is the best that is the time that the world and our lives have affected us the least, when we were most ourselves, when our birthright gifts shone most brightly, not yet covered over by the unhelpful identities or masks that we gather over the course of our lives. 
So this becomes a little tricky as we have to be able to look at our identities and find ways to distinguish between how they point to our attachments and how they point to our birthright gifts and which is which. It can be hard to tell them apart. But in Letting Your Life Speak, Parker Palmer writes, everything has a life that is different from the eye of daily consciousness. A life that is trying to live through the eye who is its vessel. This is what the poet knows and what every wisdom tradition teaches. There is a great gulf between the way my ego wants to identify me with its protective masks and self-serving fictions and my true self. Now, some of you were here last week when I told a story about a stone I was carving. The nutshell of that story, for those of you who missed it, was that I was carving a stone, and, and part of carving stones is you chip away the, at the cracks. You go right for the cracks first and chip away what's there and try to create something out of the stone. Um, and as I was trying to create what I thought was supposed to be created out of the stone, I knocked the head off, and it turned out that my sculpture didn't have a head. <laughs> and what I learned from that story, as I shared last week, was... It was a time in my life when I wasn't very embodied. I was kind of a floating head, and I learned to be more holistically embodied. Uh, but what I want to lift up this week about that story is that it also brought me back to a different identity. Up until that point, I had been a dancer my whole life. Starting when I was three, I had ballet, tap, jazz, all of the above, modern, I was, I was a dancer at my core, and I hadn't danced in years. And so I looked at that attachment. I looked at that identity as a dancer and what was missing there. I wasn't going back to being a dancer all the time. That wasn't what the attachment there was. I was it could have been that I was attached to being seen as beautiful or graceful. But really, the important part there was the embodiment. And that I was artistic and creative in that time. So I found different ways to be artistic and creative. Sometimes I still dance, but it's not a core identity anymore. The, the core identity is that I have to be creative in my life or I'm not happy. The list of attachments I listed earlier of different people at the core, what I think that, that means for me is that I am a lover. I love deeply, lots of different people for different reasons, but it's part of who I am to love, and I think it's part of a lot of you too. Our identities often point us both to our attachments and to our birthright gifts at the same time, if we just look at them from this lens. And at the same time, they connect, our birthright gifts are deeper than all of the identities. We're looking for what's beneath the identity. They connect us to something greater than our attachments do. They are woven into the great tapestry of life that outlives us all. Some might call them gifts from God. They may be a little different than someone else's, as we are each different manifestations of the sacred, or they may be the same as ultimately they serve to help us do our part in the creation of the beloved community. They are our special gifts 
that might bring more compassion and justice onto this earth. These parts of ourselves yearn to shine. They yearn to shine and change the world. But we must shed some of what is in their way. We must let go of, whole, of what holds them inside us. We don't necessarily have to name them, for in ways they are beyond naming. But it can help us see what may be holding them back and can help us to motivate ourselves to clear away space for them if we understand a little of what they are and how deeply we yearn to let them shine. So I ask, as we go into our offering time, that in your fourth quadrant, if you wondered what should go in your fourth quadrant, that you think about what your birthright gifts are. We all have them. They may be different than the, one, the person sitting next to you, and they may, there may be great overlap. So as we enter into a time of generosity of spirit, a time when we give of ourselves, think also about what it is in you that is yearning to shine. Our offering this morning will go to a third-place community foundation and will now be gratefully given and received. <laughs> 